but uh, but no, welcome everyone. Um, as you guys see, we've got uh, hey, hey Hank, hey everyone, uh, we've got uh, James on here, and uh, and as per usual, we've got some uh, some community comments. Now, James, my my favorite part at the beginning of all this is we get to embarrass Vlad slightly. As you may or may not know, Vlad has a fairly popular uh, YouTube channel, uh, Solus PLC. Hey to everyone watching on Solus PLC working on 25,000 subscribers and we're working to get Vlad a silver play button to go above his right shoulder. Um, and now's the point in time where <clears throat> I get to embarrass Vlad and ask everyone to subscribe to his YouTube channel, which is, uh, which is exciting and uh, causes him a bit of embarrassment every week. It's like 27 times I've done this and we've embarrassed him 27 times. At some point he'll stop blushing, but, uh, but, but he hasn't yet. So we're going to continue to ask for those, uh, those subscribers. Um, in addition to that, always Vlad. In addition to that, we have a very, uh, we're happy to announce our new theme systems integrators and James is here talking. And as part of that, we actually have a new sponsor, uh, Phoenix contact. We will get into that a little bit, but we're going to break some news that we may or may not should tell everyone about the PLC next edge gateway. So we'll drop some links into the chat below you guys can take a look at the uh, at the PLC Next Edge Gateway, and we will talk more about that into the show. Um, if you guys are here and have watched us for a bunch of shows or listened to us, please you know do the like and subscribe and the the rating and all of that stuff. Apparently, it makes a difference in the algorithms, and so I am supposed to do that and, and make that ask. Um, beyond that, we're live on manufacturinghub.live, where you guys can go ahead to. Uh, where you guys can go ahead and watch all of our episodes, listen to all of our episodes, and just uh, just catch all of the updates. If you haven't yet but are interested, we do have a newsletter that goes out, and the newsletter uh, goes out as a reminder with all of the links for the shows. Um, yeah, that's about all I have before we jump in. Uh, Vlad, do you have any other thoughts? No, Dave, I think it was a thorough intro as usual. Please uh, introduce the episode and our guest. Absolutely. Uh, welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy over here, Vlad. We have made it to episode 34 and are talking about systems integrators. And we've got a very special guest uh, coming all the way from rural middle of nowhere, Alabama, which is not where he's normally from, uh, James Dean. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, I'm sitting in a parking lot in Alabama. Um, I had to come down for a, a project, and it was a spur of the moment. They wanted me to come look at some work, and, and here we are. So I'm in a Starbucks and a Dollar Tree, which is an odd combo to have together, but here here we are. So, uh, yeah, happy to be here. Well, no, well I, I would like I, ahead, I would like to point out, I, I feel like this is the most appropriate for the life of a systems integrator, right? Like we're, we're starting out taking a phone call from a parking lot. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I wish to have a nice Starbucks Dollar Tree parking lot <laughs> um, or Starbucks Dollar General parking lot to uh, to find um, in uh, while out and about. So uh, very happy to have you on. Thank you. What were you going to say, Vlad? No, I was going to say really appreciate it, James. I was going to say that that's definitely, you know, the life and what we want to talk to you about today. Uh, systems integration, as Dave mentioned, is the theme of the month. Um, and, you know, maybe to put some context of people who haven't seen your content. So you've been putting out some videos about the different, I would say, like industry topics. You've talked a lot about how to run a systems integrator. Me and you have actually connected in the past on one of the Frank Lamb's 
uh, mastering the machine episodes where you've talked in a lot of detail, you know, what it takes, I think, to run a systems integrator, what it takes to get customers and what, um, again, I think you've gave a lot of, of actionable advice and I think it'd be worthwhile posting that episode link um, to people who are listening today as well. So we'll be, we'll be sharing that for sure. But James, if you want to give us a better introduction, I, I would definitely appreciate it. What is it that you do? What is it that uh, you're involved with? Yeah, so uh, you know we're we're a small. I call ourselves a boutique because boutique sounds better than small. Ah. So we're a boutique systems integrator, right? Um, but where we differ from what a lot of people do is is I think there's a misconception in the integration world that you have to grow this monster thing before you can make good money, or you have to do these very 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 complicated systems before you can make good money. That's not our world. Now, we do a lot of complicated motion and a lot of complicated vision and those type of things. But where we make our, our mark is we're a small company. There's seven. We just added one. We was six for a while, and we just added another integrator. Um, there's seven of us. But if, you, if you've watched any of my videos before, you've heard me talk about collaboration, and I believe in collaboration and not competition. And what that allows, and we can go in more depth in the video, is it allows us to stay really small and little, really lean when projects aren't going on, but I have a huge network of guys who are very, very capable that are happy to come and work with me and vice versa because we make it profitable and we're, we make it fair for everyone. And there's times where we bid against my friends. I mean, there's times where we're head to head on jobs, but even when those jobs don't go our way, I'm still there if they want to reach out and say, Hey, can you supply a couple extra guys? A lot of people don't have that mentality, you know? Um, but yeah, so that's what sets us apart. So we're a small integration firm. Um, we we are a machine builder by trade. Um, I say that with the asterisk and caveat of we haven't built a machine in almost two years now because of COVID. Um, COVID came in and we got swamped with uh, commissioning work from, from some large manufacturers who just really needed some uh, very flexible guys. And um, that's kind of what we've done. So we're, we're wanting to get back to our roots of machine building in, in 2022. But it's just been so um, so profitable to, to do that type of work that now we're, you know, that's why I'm sitting in Alabama today because they wanted us to come down and look at some shutdown work for the holiday season. Um, but, yeah, so we've got a powder coat division. Um, we do a lot of in-house powder coating on our machine builds and stuff. Um, we do about 70% of our business is retrofit. So we'll take an older machine and retrofit the controls up into a new control system on it, um, both mechanically and electrically. Um, and you know, we, and, and the difference I think that really sets us apart is we don't have one industry that we focus on. We're not just automotive or, you know, we're not just food and beverage or, I mean, we, we've done everything from titanium bar turners to plastic injection or blow molding to, um, food and beverage and di dis distribution and material handling and packaging all the way up to, uh, welding cells and robotics and, you know, kind of runs the gambit. The, the one thing that we're not. Um, we're not a process automation company, so we don't do a lot of chemical processing, um, and we don't do a lot of the large-scale DCS, SCADA-type work. Uh, you know, if you've seen my posts the past week, I've been, and we can talk about this some, is, is there's been some misconceptions about my posts that I was berating <laughs> or belittling people when it wasn't that way, but I'm really at a, at a crossroads with the industry 4.0 direction and the way things are going and how that fits in my company and, and how to properly how to properly integrate those things into my company. Um, so, so yeah, so that, that's a, a, in the nutshell, we are a traditional machine builder integrator. Um, 
you know, and, and like I said, we do some pretty complicated stuff, but um, a lot of our revenue comes from simple, simple fixes and simple solutions that a lot of people think that they could never make money on. Um, you know, we do, I would say close to 300,000, 400,000 a year in revenue just on VFD upgrades and replacements, um, soft start upgrades and replacements, that kind of stuff. We have a whole team that does, uh, that does that work for water, wastewater, uh, manufacturing, that kind of stuff. Um, and a lot of people would pass that business completely up because they wouldn't think of it. So uh, anyway, in a nutshell, that's us, and uh, we can go from there. James, as I, as I always say, you know, there's a lot we can expand on. But before we get into the business aspects, I'd still like to get maybe a, a background of how you got into industrial automation in the first place. And how did you, you know, probably transition from a, a regular job into founding your own company? Well, um, you know, it's actually I, I did it backwards. And, and that's why, um, you know, when, when when somebody asks if I started it from scratch, I always want to detail that absolutely not um appalachian automation was started from scratch but it's because i stood on the on the shoulders of giants you know and 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 what i mean by that is my father was an integrator um you know self self-taught integration learned uh, electronics and electrical in, in the musical industry and then in the satellite industry uh doing satellite tv and things of that nature and then and then got into manufacturing and stuff and that's how he kind of cut his teeth on it by the time i come along um you know, when I was 12, he bought me a uh, Direct Logics. I think it was a 05 or a 105 PLC, Little Automation Direct PLC. And he comes in and pitches it to me. And he's like, "Happy birthday! Learn to make this thing go and don't smoke it." Um, and that's pretty much all, all the all the direction he gave me. You know, but um, so I grew up in an automation family, and um, I, I didn't really know working for anybody else. I had never had a job outside of that. And um, and in 2008, uh, you know, I, I went. I think 2007, I was I was mid six figures, 400,000, 500,000 for the year in income, um, as a 23 year old or 24 year old, you know, we were doing really well. And, um, and then in 08, when everything crashed, we were surviving and things were going okay. Um, but we were struggling like other companies where we had a lot of POs canceled and a lot of projects cancel off. And, and especially cause we were focused primarily on automotive at that time and automotive, you know, everybody remembers automotive kind of took a crash at that time, but, um, Long story short, um, that September, one of my uncles that was a partner in the company passed away with a stroke. And then about a month after that, another uncle had a, had his liver fail. And then that Thanksgiving, my father had a stroke. So in about a three-month period, all of my partners were either gone or completely disabled and, and, and you know, ended up passing on later. But it dropped all the company on me. And I had no idea how to manage a company at that time. I mean, I was I was managing jobs and managing projects, but you know, I didn't know how to take care of our employees. I didn't know how to do any of that. So we ended up going bankrupt and losing everything. Um, so that's when you know I had been I had started business school before that. And and if you look, I'm uh, actually Dave and I was talking. It's ironic because he's the only other person I've met that's that's uh, in industrial uh, you know engineering and in our our world of automation that that's not a a, a degreed engineer. Um, my background schooling and education wise was in corporate finance and investments um, because I needed to know how to run the business. I didn't need to know how to do the work because I've always done the work. It's all I've ever known. Right. So um, imagine 2009, you know, you, you've lost everything and, and you've got a wife and a, and a new son that's on the way. Um, and all of a sudden you're trying to find a job in that job market and you've got all these skills and, but you have no degree. Right. So, 
that's why I'm adamant now um, in my company that, that, I mean, I want people to be educated. You have to be educated and knowledgeable. I care zero about a sheet of paper on the wall. And I know that's going to rub some feathers and, and, you know, it's going to rub people the wrong way. But um, I know that where we're going in the future, there's going to be a lot of people just the way I was, especially with what we can learn from the internet and, and things like what you guys do. There's a lot of education that's available that doesn't that doesn't require a four year degree or a five year degree or whatever. And I would never take away from the people who have that. So I'm not saying that at all. But um, but yeah, so I, I ended up going, you know, from making very, very comfortable income to sixteen dollars an hour as a as a maintenance guy at a cheese factory. Um, because it was the only way I could support my family at twenty five years old and and uh and I worked from there. So and and then I came up and you know, eventually the 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 talent I guess that I had started sort of shining through and, and I started getting some offers from, from other places that, uh, that had heard through the grapevine that I was available and no longer doing on my own. And I ended up landing with a company, a small, well, small in comparison to company It's still a billion dollar company, but um, it's a company called team technologies in Morristown, Tennessee. Um, it's a phenomenal company, phenomenal place to work. Um, but the owner who founded the company hired me into his R and D in his R and D department and it was my dream job. I mean, I, I never thought that I would be back to where I'm at now as being, uh, you know, back into a company role and owning a company because there um, I was a lead engineer over five plants. And um, it was just cool because I had an unlimited, pretty much unlimited budget and he liked to tinker in place. So he would say, order a robot or order a laser and make this thing go. And how can we do this better? So for a nerd like me to come in every day and have a, a budget to just make, you know, make improvements, make it better. I didn't really have anybody to answer to except, uh, you know, the high up management. Um, there was no micromanaging whatsoever. It was perfect. It was a dream job. And uh, Eric, who is actually on this trip with me right now, but um, I met him there and he, he is my partner in Appalachian Automation, which we'll go into shortly. But um, so the way Appalachian come to be was while I was working at Team Tech, I had clients that were calling every now and then. Um, and saying, hey, you know, one of your systems that you've done years ago has went down. Can you come in and check it out? Well, I had no way of billing that work. I didn't have a company. I didn't, you know, I had no way. Um, but I'm thinking, I'm not going to let the revenue just go away. I'm not going to let the money go away. I'm a business guy at heart. So I started Appalachian Automation just as a side gig to go take care of some past clients. Um, but then Steve, the gentleman I'm speaking about that owned the uh, Team Technologies, he, he sold the company to a conglomerate. And it went very corporatized. Um, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's got its pluses, but it's just wasn't, it was no longer a fit from where I wanted to be. Um, so one thing led to another and I decided it was time to step out and, and, uh, and, you know, do what I love doing. And, and it's been an absolute rocket ship ever since. Um, you know, because one, I, I guess I, I grew a little bit, you know, skills wise, well, I grew quite a bit skills wise, but, but I also, um, you know, I grew in my business mindset. You know, if you come to my library at home, you won't find a, a ton of technical books. And I've talked about it on here. You know, you guys are a lot years ahead of where I'm at technically, um, you know, with, with the, the, and, and you're going to have people on here that, that would blow me away uh, as far as technical ability. I mean, I can hold my own and, and we do a good job, but, but that's my world is not knowing how every single component functions on earth. You know, I, I can't tell you what the fifth iteration of Bluetooth is. It's not my world. I don't know, you know, but, um, but with that being said, um, if you come into my home, you're going to find a thousand books on business and business management and capital flow and funding. And, and so 
Um, so yeah, so that's how, how, that's how I come to be. I mean, um, you know, it, it did start from scratch. Appalachian has been, uh, mine since the beginning, but, um, but there's, there was help there, you know, not financial help. I mean, you know, I went from bankrupt to where we're at now, all, all by just busting my butt. But, um, but, you know, I had people, um, close family members and stuff that, that dedicated the time to teach. And if you wonder, I guess if you wonder why I do so much mentoring and stuff now for free, and I'm so excited to help some of these young people that I'm working with now bring their companies up. And I think we're up to four now that's actually been founded this year that I've had a role in, in bringing those companies up and answering questions. It's because I had somebody to do that for me. And um, I know that it kind of upsets some people that I put videos out that kind of, I teach some things that other people get paid to teach uh, in some of the masterminds and stuff that they do. And, and I, I hate that I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to cause any problems, but, but you know, that's, I want to give back. That's what it's about. So, uh, so I do a ton of, a ton of mentoring. And the only thing I ask as far as payment goes, I've never asked for a dime, uh, personally, but I do ask that, um, you know, if you feel like you've learned something, if you learned something today, um, you know, I would love for everybody watching to make a donation of time or money to a charity that they care about. Um, I donate a lot to St. Jude. Uh, it means a lot to me. Um, so if you wanted to do that, you're more than welcome to. But um, that's all I ask. I, and, you know, I'm happy to answer any, any questions or help anybody at any time. And, and uh, I don't want any kind of any kind of monetary gain from it. I never will. So. Well, James, I, I certainly appreciate the introduction. I think, you know, like one of my interesting questions, and I think, you know, a lot of people would benefit from this, but seeing from where you are now, what do you think is, a, I guess, a good foundation for an automation engineer just starting out? So maybe, you know, maybe a little bit of technical knowledge, you know, they've researched online what they're looking to do. They're looking to get into automation. They may not have, I would say, like a mentor and they're trying to either get their first job or are in their first job. Like, how do you maybe grow that career the way you've done and perhaps not even, you know, jump into management yet, but just how to how to become better within the industry. So I think to start out, you know, the first thing I would recommend if I'm if I'm day one, if today I walk out of my job and I'm saying I am now in business for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. The first thing I would do is I would go to my distributors around of whatever product you wanted to, to integrate. Um, I was actually really excited that you guys are sponsored by Phoenix Contact because we are bringing Phoenix into our fold heavily right now. They have been phenomenal with us. Um, we do, you know, I, I mean, I've done Alan Bradley and, and, and for decades now, and Snyder has been a phenomenal partner as well. We do a lot of Snyder products, but Phoenix with the PLC Next stuff, um, I think that it's a game changer. Uh, I think that it's going to be a game changer for a lot of people that sees it. Um, I would love to have better availability. I know they're struggling right now like the whole world is. Um, so I can't wait to get my hands on it and, and start really bringing it in into the fold and start pushing it with to my my clients. But um, but what I would what I would recommend for for young people or not young people, but anybody who's on day one, is uh, reach out to distributors and start building a relationship with those distributors. Um, if you what you'll find, everybody except two of the major ones, and I won't name names because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but but two of the major ones will be a little stiff about wanting to partner with you. But most of the rest are looking to increase their business. They're looking to find young integrators, especially, and they will work with you. Not only will they provide um, a lead or, 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 you know, some business opportunities for you, but they will provide pricing for you. That's going to be better than what you could get. If you just, if you just willy nilly go out and try to buy stuff online or whatever, 
mm-hmm. you know, pick some products, learn those products. I chose Snyder drives. That was really the first one for me. Um, because, uh, I realized that there was a huge opportunity with Snyder VFDs. They're some of the best products on earth. I mean, they, they just, they really are. And Interesting. there was okay. really an untapped market in my area for water, wastewater. Every time I went out to talk to these people, they had no one who could help them. And I could go out and, and make a, a $300, a $300 drive install where they're paying me 300 to install it. But once I learned that I could go to my distributors and I could get distributor pricing or OEM pricing on these drives, all of a sudden that $300 job became a thousand dollar job because I'm making six or 700 off the drive. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so what I, what I would say is for young people starting out with, especially if they have a, um, they don't have a lot of capital, a lot of working capital is get them with your distributors and start partnering and finding ways that you can help each other grow the business. They want to sell you products. But they also know that if they can open their their clientele book up to you and, and you really are a partner, you truly are are working with them to partner with them, then all of a sudden, um, man, you can really hit the ground running really quickly. Um, and the other thing that I would say is, you know, you don't to be a systems integrator, you don't have to do really super complicated work right off the bat. You also don't have to. um you don't have to integrate anything right off the bat. So I'll tell you um, one thing that, that we still do today, and, and, and I spoke about it with Frank. One thing that we do that generates a lot of revenue for us with our clients is we do what's called an obsolescence study. Mm-hmm. So basically, we go into clients' uh, manufacturing facilities, and, and we say, look, you know, for an X amount of dollars, depending on the size of the, of, of the work that's going to be done, we will go through your facility and we will determine what is obsolete. You give us the list of your machines that are your most important machines, your most critical processes. We will open every cabinet. We will determine what is obsolete. We will, we will provide you a list of what is obsolete and what is a replacement. And we will provide you with what is becoming obsolete. What's going to go obsolete in a year or two? Because every company out there has an end of life plan for their equipment, right? So what that does, it, it's a twofold thing. One, you get paid to do the audit which costs nothing. It's your, it's a little bit of your time and some ink on a paper. So any engineer starting out can do this and make a few thousand dollars to do the study. Right. But here's the other thing it gets you. Um, one, they provide you the list of the most important equipment that they're doing that, that they have. And then you provide the list of things on it that need to be replaced. So they don't see it as you selling them. You're giving them their list back. This is okay. Machine 121 that you say is the most critical machine in the, in the building has a PLC that's 10 years out of date. If it fails tomorrow, you're not going to be able to find one. So why don't we, in the next six months or year or two years, put it in your CapEx plan for Mm -hmm. Appalachian Automation to come in and replace that PLC? So now you've turned a single uh, event of this this, uh, audit that you've done into a whole pipeline of CapEx projects for the next two or three years. Mm -hmm. And they have the data driving that um, so that they know that you're not just trying to upsell them, right? Because that's their big fear. If you're there and you go in and you say, you know, you should really come to, you should really put in this brand new widget, you know, then they, they're, they're, they're going to look at that and they're going to be a little skeptical. But when you hand them an audit that shows that that machine's got a, a PLC five in it and that a, a new analog card on that now, or well, you can't buy them new, but an analog card is a $20,000 card because you have to mm-hmm. find one in the whole world. And, and, and then you can work with them and say, okay, but what if I showed you that I can, I can swap it to control logics in six hours 
I can change that out. I can upgrade the, pro the program. I can put the rack in. In six hours, you're back going, and it's going to cost you X amount of money. Well, guess what? Um, you just won that project, and you probably don't have to quote that project against 20 other vendors because they're going to feel like that you're the guy who brought that to the forefront, and if they have any loyalty at all to the process, they're going to give you that contract if you're within reason. So take that, um, run with it, use it. It's worked for me. We've made millions off of that exact routine. It will work for you, and, and you can hit the ground running as a brand new, a brand new integrator. Absolutely. Just, I know Vlad probably has many thoughts on this. I would just like to, to reiterate the, the assessments and studies are amazing entry points into new facilities. Uh, to, to James's point, you know, it's a couple of thousand dollars of mostly time to go through and do this. And not only do you get the roadmap of, you know, this is the major CapEx projects that they know they have to, um, that they know they have to do over the next couple of years because we've worked through it together, but you also get the opportunity to look at everything else in their facility. And most good systems integrators can go and look at different things and have conversations with folks and kind of point out some different odds and ends and find more additional work or at least more opportunities as you're walking through a facility. Absolutely. And it also gives you the opportunity to show your expertise, whatever it may be. Um, it's hard to be a salesperson. And that's why I spend so much time teaching sales. It's hard to be a salesperson, um, you know, in an industrial setting until they believe in you. And, mm -hmm. and now that's what we enjoy now is, is we have 30 or 40 core clients we're adding some, we lose some from time to time, just from people retiring and, and our names kind of get lost. But, but the core has been there for, for years. Right. Um, but the thing is we don't get calls anymore where it's um, where it's even a question that, or where they even question what we present to them. Mm -hmm. If we go in with a solution, they may ask some questions about how it works or whatever, but it's, you don't get that feeling of, wow, they don't think this is going to, this is going to work. They don't think this is going to be a thing because they know over and over again, we have solved problems for them. Um, and, and, and like, I, I mean, I've said it before, we don't really compete on price anymore. Um, you don't have to be the lowest price person. That's the, if I could solve one misconception, that would be it. You don't have to be the lowest price. I, I see people all the time who talk about that they're getting underbid. Um, you know, oh, I'm, I'm underbid. Every time I quote something, I'm underbid. How are people doing these jobs so cheap? The answer to that is you're not being underbid. You're, you're not being underbid on a job for the most part. Now, maybe once or twice, but if it's happening over and over again, you're not being underbid. You're being oversold. And what that means is you're not showing the value of, the, of what you're offering the client in a means that makes them think that one, either you're competent to do the work or two, that, that it justifies the cost of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, we are never the cheapest ever. We are never the cheapest on any job we do. Yet we close about 80% of the jobs that we quote we, we land. So um, I'll take that record any day of the week. It, it works mm -hmm. for us. Um, now we're also not the, the most expensive. There's sometimes that we go in and, and they'll tell us, you know, that, that X amount X company quoted this at 60% higher than we did. Um, and, and it really hurts my heart when I hear that because I know I left so much money on the table, but you know, <laughs> it is what well. it is, but, but yeah. So, um, so if you can show that you're the expert and you can do that by these audits and stuff, they're not out anything. They're out a little bit of money, but they're not out much to bring you in and do it. They gain a ton of info. So even if they don't use you to do the projects, they have still gained a ton of info, but it's also gained you a ton of credibility by simply being there and being able to show your expertise. And that's what, that's what it's really about as a new, 
as a new company is you've got to, to show potential clients that you have the ability to do what you say that you can. James, I want to I wanna ask a question as a follow-up to the previous one and, the, you know, a couple of points that you've made, which is, well, first of all, I guess specializing as an engineer on different, you know, hardware and software. I think there's more and more platforms coming out today than ever before, right? And so it's, I guess, like, I want to get your thoughts on, let's say, picking one brand of even like VFDs or one brand of controllers and focusing on that versus having a, you know, a breadth of knowledge, but obviously not as in-depth perhaps on all the platforms. And also, you know, I want to tie this back to how you said that at Appalachian Automation, you guys specialize in a wide array of different fields and industries, right? What are your thoughts around, um, and again, because I'm drawing a little bit from my experience, you being like pigeonholed in, let's say, food and beverage or pharma, just because you've gotten multiple years of experience with that specific industry like what are your thoughts around like i guess both of those similar aspects of specialization so the the first question um you know i i agree i agree with what you're saying in that um or i guess i should say i i think that for a new integrator you should pick a line that you can learn completely after you learn that line completely, you should never stop learning other products and other lines. Mm-hmm. You know, we can make a living right now doing Alan Bradley and Snyder. We, we can make millions a year doing those two product lines and be just fine. Um, but the Phoenix neck or the Phoenix contact with the PLC next come out and a lot bulb went off of my head and I thought, wow, this is something different. This is something, this is something that's going to change the game. Right. Um, so I, I don't think you ever, you, you can never stop learning as an integrator ever. But, but I think you need to master a core set of, of uh, components that you can trust. And the reason why I say that is um, everyone will do it. Everyone has done it. Um, but there's going to come a time where you order a widget that is supposed to do X thing and you install it and you plug it up and Modbus, for example. I know everybody can relate to this. So you buy a thing. It says it's, you know, it's Modbus TCP. You put it in. You go to hit the registers. And the register map is completely bonkers compared to what it should be, right? You can't talk to it. It won't communicate. You can't get it online. And by the end of the day, you hate this thing, right? But had you had a core competent solution, be it a VFD or a servo driver, I don't care, and uh, you know, if it's a if it's an RTU or I don't care what it is, whatever your field may be, if you have a, a core competent uh, stable of components that you can go with, then you can solve about any problem that comes up and not have to worry about looking inferior to a client. Uh, the last thing you want to do is have a client looking over your shoulder on your first project and you can't make something run, right? I mean, it's a terrible, we've all done it and, it and it sucks. And, you know, but I would much rather have that happen on the hundredth project I do for somebody yeah. to where I know Bob and I've been to Bob's house and I've met his wife and, and I turn around I'm like, Hey Bob, I'm working on it, man. Um, for example, um, Sunday, Sunday, I was putting in a 200 horse soft start for a client who, uh, who they were down, they needed it done. And, and so to give you guys an idea, I got back from, uh, I got back from Montana last Sunday. Um, Monday, they called about this soft start going down. So it, so I got in it at, at 3am Monday morning from Montana back home and midnight Monday night, I was in a factory putting in the soft start trying to troubleshoot the soft start. So I had to order one in, we got it in and we ended up putting it in on Sunday. Cause we got them, we got them back going on their old one enough to run and they just didn't shut the blower off for the week. Um, 
but anyway, but when we went to put it in, I put the soft start in, and this is it's an all to start 22. Uh, it's it's a common a common thing from Snyder, and we spent a couple hours putting it in, and then when we started it up, it kept throwing a, an overheat on the on the um, on the, the 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 drive itself or the soft start itself. It was throwing a an overheat internal overheat, mm-hmm. and I was so confused about why why in the world is it doing this. And um, I guess it was just fatigue from being wore out for the week. But um, I, I realized that that I had 120 volts on the uh, I had 120 volts on the control circuit that should have been 220, and the fan wasn't running fast enough. But it took two and a half. And I and the whole time I've got their engineer standing behind me watching me do this. So it was a stupid rookie mistake. It happens to ever everybody will do it. It's the way it is, you know. But I was able to say, hey man, it's fixed. It's good to go. You know, you're running whatever. Um, but yeah, so, so I think that everybody should, should continue to learn lines and add lines, but it's also about building that relationship with that distributor. If you have in, in our case, um, you know, if you have a distributor that sells Snyder and, and, and Snyder or whoever, be it, be it Phoenix contact or whoever, if they come on board and they come and meet you, like for example, Phoenix really made a good showing with us when I called them and, and we can talk about the projects I've got, I've got a greenhouse project right now. That's, that's massive. That that's where I was in Montana on. But um, mm-hmm. when I called Phoenix and said, Hey, look, I've got a ton of remote IO opportunity in this thing. And, and the PLC next may come into play. They showed up with everybody. They, they told me they were coming and they showed up on my shop with like eight guys, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, um, I mean, I had guys from their networking division. I had guys from their IO division. I had guys from the PLC, from the HMI, all these guys showed up. And they put forth an effort to build that relationship. And if you've got somebody doing that, um, you know, you should be loyal to that, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't have to step outside of that, and I don't care what you integrate, I don't care if it's Mitsubishi or whoever, I, you know, if you've got somebody that's a true dedicated partner to you, um, latch on to that and hold on to it. And I'm not saying don't learn the other stuff and don't use anything else, but build those relationships because relationships matter. They, they really, they matter a lot, you know. Um, and as far as the second part of your question, um, you know, you ask about about um, industries. And I think as you age as an engineer, you know, this is um, I mean, I, I'm just now turning I'm just now turning 40. But this is what year 28 for me because I started when I was 12. So um, I've seen I've seen a lot and I've done a lot. So now, um, you know, I have I have enough knowledge mechanically and electrically to take on really a, a, a specialized, uh, or I, I guess a, a special situation with us is that we can take on those kind of endeavors where we're jumping out there into whatever. Um, and the reason why is because once, once you reach a certain point with your, um, your education and your knowledge uh, right now, I don't care what plant calls me. It, it can be a process I've never seen before. Um, it's all the same stuff. I mean, we're looking at the same equipment everywhere we go. So if we go in and, and, and the, what I tell my clients is if you have someone there who can explain what they want the process to be, I can't, you know, I don't know every process out there. No one does. But if you have a process engineer that can tell me what it's supposed to do, the controls are the same. It's all going to be the same thing. We're moving something. We're shifting something. We're, we're flowing something. We're measuring something. Every single industry has the same exact controls that we're working with, right? So don't be afraid to jump out and branch out. But if you find that you are a... Um, an absolute expert in, you know, fluid transfer or something, then, um, you know, specializing in that is not a bad way to go. The only problem that that happens, and it's what we learned in 08 when we crashed, was that um, 
we were pretty much strictly automotive conveyance. That's what we did. We did smart conveyors for automotive. And mm-hmm. we were one of the first companies that, that um, did smart racking and like RFID tracking and stuff. And we were mm-hmm. one of the first ones doing uh, some Cognix camera stuff back in the day. Um, you know, we kind of really jumped in heavy into some of that back then. And, but when that market turned down and, and the downturn hit, we had no backup to go to. And now my company, we don't have to worry about that. I, I got um, last night, you know, um, we accidentally started a powder coat division. And, and you know, if we've got time, we can discuss that. But I ended up buying a facility that had industrial powder coating equipment in it. And I made a deal to buy the equipment. But last night, we cut an $877,000 powder coat uh, job. Um, that's a year long contract. And it's, it's, you know, it's going to be upwards of a million dollars. And that was something that we did on accident. You know, it just happened to sort of, and it, and that come from the fact that every time we go out to meet a new client or we talk to a client, we let them know what our capabilities are and, and, and we're open to what they want to do. So when they called us a couple of weeks ago and said, Hey, would you be interested in a, in a production run of powder coating? We know you do machinery and, and your frames and stuff, but would you consider, you know, doing our parts at a run of 75 a week or a hundred a week. And um, we could have said no, but who, who says no to something like that? Right. So now we have a powder coat company. So Appalachian powders is now a thing and here, here we go. So, um, so, you know, specialize, but, but um, expand your horizons, I guess is the best way I can put it. Dave, I've got a few questions from the chat. Do you want to, I guess, throw a few of them in or any of your own before I, let's so 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 let's actually take a break i'm gonna ask vlad to give me this awkward laugh that he does before i do the ad read let's talk about phoenix contact the sponsor of this episode because james set us up so well so vlad give us that awkward laugh and we're gonna talk about phoenix i thought we were gonna switch it up for this month i I didn't know this was gonna be an ongoing thing but sure oh no the the awkward (laughs) laugh is just our thing now no perfect so uh, so, so everyone, um, as we said in the beginning, um, we're very happy to, to talk about how Phoenix Contact is sponsoring this theme, and we're kind of breaking some news on the PLC Next Edge Gateway. It's a state-of-the-art IIoT and edge computing solution designed for data collection in the most demanding environments. So whether you have a small machine or an entire manufacturing floor, the PLC Next Edge Gateway leverages its advanced industrial design and programming openness to collect data from any device or sensor and send it directly to the cloud service of your choice. Any data, any cloud. So uh, the advantages are easy to get your data to the cloud, we're saying no programming is required, but we're going to probably ask for some additional information on that. Uh, it's cybersecurity ready, compatible gateway uh, CPU products and required accessories, compatible IO products, compatible network and communication products. And I'm going to go ahead and launch what is what we, we learned Monday or Tuesday morning is kind of sort of a, uh, a world exclusive um, for the Phoenix Contact webpage of the uh, U.S. Edge Gateway. And Ira, who I think is still in the chat, would apparently love nothing more than if we were to accidentally crash the Phoenix Contact website if everyone goes ahead and clicks that. So if you guys want to go ahead and click that, we can uh, we, we can chat about this. Now, um, the PLC Next Edge Gateway is uh, is available through the PL- – If I get, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Vlad, but it's available through the PLC Next app store and you can load it onto any plc next device and so for everyone who's listening vlad is currently holding up one of the literally impossible to get plc next uh uh, demo cases with with the nice backboard but there are actual plc next available in stock 
I'm crazy yep. jealous, by the way. <laughs> uh, we can arrange something, James. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. No, about. no, James, we literally cannot arrange anything because there are literally none to have. We had this question that there are none of the backboards to have. Yeah, I've Not been begging. Kids, I've been begging to be able to, hmm? Yeah, so I've been begging to show it to some clients, and uh, and they're like, "Listen, we we would we would ship you ours." Like Phoenix said, "We will ship you the ones that our salesmen use." But we've already given them to somebody, so yep. yeah, um, it's 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 a, a weird situation to be in. But I cannot wait to get my hands on it. So so Zach Zach Stank, who is was a guest earlier, we, we uh, from Phoenix Contact, um, we were talking to him, and he said he all he used to have one sitting behind him. Um, on camera and he literally had to ship his away and now <laughs> literally everyone in the world is anxiously awaiting I i'm almost wondering if it's not an opportunity for appalachian powder coating to you know be able to make some nice looking backboards with uh, with some holes drilled in them oh you know that's not a terrible idea i might need to work on that uh if so i'll uh, i'll send you royalty we'll, we'll figure something out perfect perfect new breaking ideas here ira's pulling all of his hair out if uh if he's currently listening i'm sorry for what we've done ira james we had a a, a few interesting discussions in the linkedin uh, comments section but i want to read uh, i guess uh one of the latest questions and then we'll kind of we'll kind of work our way backwards so sandro asked an interesting question he's like why do you do what you do and usually he says the answer is money how much is enough um, so that's, that's a good question is it's for me, it's not money. Um, it, it's really not, um, I could quit now and, and be pretty well comfortable, you know, um, I, I, uh, I get bored easy and, um, I learned even when I was, a even when I was an engineer, you know, before, um, I don't want to do things multiple times. I'm not one of those guys that wants to build the same machine. It's why we're not an OEM. Um, I don't want to build the same thing over and over and over. Now we'll do, we'll do 10 of something or 20 of something or whatever for a client. That's no big deal, but I love the challenge of, of solving problems. And, and um, I want to clarify that when I say what I'm about to say, I'm not talking about uh, any religion. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or bring anybody, anybody bad, but when you bring a machine to life and you see it come to life and start moving and doing what you Sounds like we may have lost James there. That that was the most perfect cliffhanger like moment. Yes. But uh no, well, oh he's back. There he is. You you froze up at the moment of talking about bringing a machine to life. And then yeah, okay. okay. So yeah, so what I was saying was um I think when you when you look at bringing a machine to life, it's the closest that that a human being can come to being uh like God. At little g not not creator god but you know it, it, you bring something online and you have a passion for it and you see it come to life it, the fulfillment with that is something that's hard to find and and you know it's like um it's like asking why tiger woods still plays golf well he plays golf because he loves he loves golf he doesn't need the money and i don't even think he like he likes the fame anymore but um you know it's just one of those things where it's what he was put here to do it's the purpose that he was put here to do now my purpose I can tell you right now, my purpose is not to do automation. That was not why I was put here, I don't think. I think that my purpose and the reason that I exist is because I am put here to help other people become better at what they do. Um, I excel at customer relations. 
and um, I excel at um, not really the sales process because I don't want to sound like a salesman, but but I excel at, at being able to teach people how to be personable enough to build relations. When I say that I have relations with my clients, I don't mean that that it's a, you know, I'm just a salesman to them or whatever. I mean that if they call me at two o'clock in the morning and they're down and I have to get on a plane right then, I will be on a plane right then going to where I have to go. Um, you know, Montana, we got up there and ran into some issues and, and, you know, it was out of our control, but we were supposed to be there for two weeks. I stayed in Montana for two and a half months um, and put everything else on hold. Everything goes on hold for that client. Um, so when I went, you know, th- my purpose is to get people, I want everyone around me who knows me to say, like, I guess when my final time comes, if there's a eulogy given, I want everyone to say that he helped me become better at what I do at what my passion is, whatever that may be. Um, and that's my thing. So, but, but I love automation. I love doing it. I, I, you know, I left it for a little while. I went into real estate because I'm, I also have a real estate business and, and, uh, own some rentals and stuff. And, and I, I love that side of things as well, but my mind wouldn't slow down and my mind wouldn't stop. It always came back to wanting to build something, um, watch something move, you know, make something happen. And that's, uh, it's just what I'm meant to do. It's what it is. Um, and as far as how much money is enough, I think at the at the moment, um, at the moment that you find that you are happier giving money away than you are making more, then you're probably you're probably where you need to be. Um, but now that's kind of where I find myself is is um, I mean I, you know we've got the hobbies and we can talk about those. I you know I enjoy drag racing and I, I'm looking to buy. Um, I want to get my pilot's license and get into aviation, private aviation, uh, in the next year or so. And so I've got some hobbies and stuff that I love, but, um, but I really love knowing that if, if I see somebody that, that needs help, um, you know, Holly and I both, um, we, we do what we can to help anywhere we can. Um, and, and I couldn't do that if I was still an engineer, you know, not making what I, what I currently make. And so, so it allows us to, to do some things. Uh, I think, you know, um, I read a book one time, I think it might have been Dave Ramsey that said it, and, and you know, uh, whether or not you like Dave's advice or not, it's a different story, but but I think he said uh, he said one time that if money was the root of all evil, then only the evil would have it, right? That, that was pretty much his point, and that really stuck home for me because I'm like, if I can create something that is throwing off excess cash, then I can go into my community of what I'm passionate about, whatever that may be, and I can help there, um, and now I've learned that through doing things like this and through mentoring and helping others, I can, I can exponentially increase what is being donated and given um, by turning my knowledge into wealth for others, which then in turns wealth for those things that they care about. And I, and I would never say you have to give to this or you have to give to that, or I don't care if you give it all. I mean, it's, it's really your personal, it's a personal relationship that you have with, with uh, your community. But um that's a that's a pretty cool feeling to know that you're that you're to the point where you can help that. So, yeah, I, I completely agree, and I I really like uh, I really like your answer that it's it's definitely not about money. You know, like for me, it's been watching all the how it's made videos and knowing that that's really what I would like my days to be. You know, like learning the process and trying to like always be on the learning curve, so to speak, like always trying to understand things, always trying to implement different ideas. And that's really kind of like what I've really enjoyed about manufacturing. Cause I, I think you've mentioned that too. There's never really a dull moment. It's never the same. It's always changing. There's always 
something different to do. But mm -hmm. um, I want to follow up, you know, James, on your on your on your answer there, and ask you about the sales process. You know, I feel that personally, at least, and I know that many engineers, I feel struggle with uh, that aspect. I would say of business, if they if they are looking to, for example, like you were saying, go out and talk to a distributor or build some kind of a relationship with an OEM, even you know, reach out to different factories. What would you recommend? And I know we're not at the book segment yet, so maybe, you know, don't just throw us out like a book that you would recommend. But how do you learn the sales process as being, you know, maybe not uh, intuitive to to oneself? Yeah, so I think the I think a lot gets lost in the sales. If you go and you listen to certain people speak or or you, you know, you go to YouTube and you listen to these these salesmen that are on there. A lot gets lost in the personal relationship side of, of the sales. Um, I think to become successful in what you're doing, as we spoke of earlier, you have to show that you're competent in what you're trying to do. But, um, but you know, I think the bulk of the sales process is shutting your mouth, honestly. Um, if I come into your office and I'm trying to sell you a product um, and I've got only one product I'm bringing in, so I'm bringing in, it's, it's something out that, um, maybe if Phoenix is listening right now, I, I might not should say what I'm about to say, but I'm probably going to ruffle a little bit. But if you have a guy who specializes in X product and you send him out into the world to only sell that solution, um, he is not going to be as accept as, as successful in doing that endeavor as someone who simply goes out and listens. And what I mean by that is if you want to increase your revenue tenfold tomorrow, Learn how to properly, and I've posted this before, learn how to properly use the word, how can I help? That question alone will make you a fortune. Ask that question and then shut up. If I come in and see you and I introduce myself, I'm not going to give you this long diatribe of what I am. I'm going to come in, I'm going to introduce myself, and I'm going to say, Vlad, I am James Dean. I'm president of Appalachian Automation. We're a boutique automation firm that, that specializes in retrofits and upgrades on equipment. I've heard from such and such that you had some issues that you might want to discuss. I just want to know how I can help and listen. And the opportunities come from them. I can come out. I mean, it's, it's kind of like throwing a dart in the dark. If you're trying to throw a dart at a dartboard in the dark and you can't see anything, you're probably not going to hit the bullseye. But if all of a sudden somebody you know illuminates that, that dartboard for you with a, with a flashlight, well, now it's a lot easier to hit close to the target. So if you're listening to that client and, the, and, and they're saying, you know, we're really having trouble with blah, even if you went there to talk about a, an HMI solution or an edge solution and you get in that room with them and they said, man, we are having such a hard time with these, uh, you know, these remote IO modules blowing out. Well, what does that statement tell you? That one statement tells you that one, they've got a, a component problem, but two, guess what they probably also have? They probably also have a root cause analysis problem with their maintenance department. Because if their maintenance department isn't solving that, if they keep having this thing happen, like I opened a machine one time and there was like 50 relays in the bottom of this machine, right? They're just down there. And the maintenance guy's like, yeah, those blow out. Like every two weeks we have to replace them. And so, uh, so I'm looking at, at, the, at all this and I said, so I go to the plant manager. I'm like, hey, um, why don't you let me do some root cause analysis training with your guys? And he was like, well, why would, you know, what, why, what makes you bring that up? And I said, well, you know, your maintenance guy shows me 50 burnt relays. And I asked him when the last time somebody put an amp meter on the on the contact was and, and, and if he knew what it was drawing. And he said that they had never done that. And I'm like, that tells me that there's some need there. So I was able to sell a $15,000 root cause analysis training course to him that come completely out of the blue of me just doing a service call. Right. So 
um, go in with an open mind when you talk to people and listen. Do more listening than talking when you're in front of a client. Um, I went in. So the, the, the part that I didn't tell you is, is when I lost everything, I knew that I had to become better at sales because that's what my father was great at. And I was just a tech with the company. So I went into car sales for about six months and it was the worst six months of my life. Um, it was terrible, but I knew that it would put me in a high pressure uh, environment to learn. I also did life insurance for a little while. Um, and then real estate, I, you know, I, I, like I said, I spoke about real estate. I wanted to learn how to sell. I didn't know what, I didn't really know I was going to come back to industrial. I wish I could say that it was all a big master plan of mine to go out into the world, but I really wanted to learn how to sell. And, uh, and what I learned in the automotive industry, one of the things they tell you, by the way, if you go to buy a car, you'll know, you'll learn this is the first one to speak loses. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but basically what that means is when you're, when you're negotiating or when you're talking about something, present what you're presenting and sit there. And the first one to speak is the one that's going to cave and give in. So that's why if you go to a car dealership and, and they present you a paper that has the terms of the car on it, then they just sit there like a, like a lump on a log. And you're like, why is this guy staring at me? He's waiting for you to respond. So he knows what to do. Um, so anyway, so, so yeah, the, as far as the sales, the sales path goes, go in with an open mind and listen. Um, you know, and of course the, the hard part's getting through the door, right. Getting into the door to, yep. to discuss something. Well, guess what? If you use those distributors that I talked about earlier, they already know a lot of contacts there. I guarantee you, if you go to one of your local distributors, they know 10,000 people at these companies that they can get you a lunch set up. They can get you a lunch and learn set up where you go and demo those products. They can open those doors for you in that partnership and they'll be happy to do that. And it gives you credibility because Vlad, if you and I go out tomorrow and I take you to one of my customers from the last 30 years and I introduce you and I say, he is a specialist in, you know, whatever your, your expertise may be, um, you instantly have credibility with that person, right. right? You, you just, you just borrowed my 30 years of credibility. I loaned it to you. Now, hopefully you're not going to let me down, but I, ah, loaned, ah. I loaned you that, you know, so that you can have that foot in the door. Those distributors will do the same thing. If you have a distributor that's, that sold products to a, to a manufacturing facility in your area for the past 15 years, and their salesman takes you in and says, this is a new young uh, you know, or not even young, but a, a, a new integrator in the area. And um, I just wanted to introduce you and see if you had any work. Guess what? Now you've got to end at that company. So then you start building that relationship. That's where your lunch and learns come in and taking them out to lunch comes in, um, helping them offer to come in and troubleshoot stuff. We do a lot of stuff for free. I know that, that that's a sacrilege to say, but I've got clients where if they called me right now and said, we're down, I'm not going to wait for a PO to be issued. I'm not going to wait. I mean, we're going to go and get them going. And a lot of times I just say, man, especially if it's a 15 minute drop in, I'll drop in, I pull an e-stop out. You know, that happens sometimes. Um, you drop in, you hook a PLC, you find something that, you know, there was an input that was removed years ago and it was forced. And then all of a sudden they, they had a reset and now it's no longer forced and it shut them down. One, you fix that where it don't do that anymore. But then you go home and, and, you know, you just tell them, guys, look, this one's on me, you know, have a great night, go on. It's constantly building that rapport to know that it's a partnership between you and them. When you get to a level that you've built that that rapport up enough, then they will no longer call 10 people to quote something. Because guess what? They don't want to do that. That engineer sitting there or that plant manager or the president or whatever, he just wants his stuff working. He's not going to say, well, i got to call Appalachian and then I've got to call this integrator and that integrator. He's simply going to call me and say, James, well, for example, um, last year, I had a client call me. He's a president of a small company. Um, 
and he calls me and he says, can you come by here and, and, and tell us what you think? And I go by and he's like, it was like 16 or 18 drives that he wanted to build a drive cabinet for. It was pretty simple. And he said, um, you know, what do you, what do you think it would take to do this? And I said, I don't know, man, you're probably talking, you know, I don't know, 80 grand, hundred grand for me to build the cabinet. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's a pretty sizable little task. And, uh, he said, cool. Um, can you do it now? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we've, we've got the time to do it. And I had a PO before I walked out of the door and it was not a, it wasn't a, I need a detailed explanation. It wasn't a, give me a, you know, like I said, you don't have to be the cheapest. Right. And mm-hmm. he didn't even quote me against anybody because we've done so many solutions for him that he knows one, we're not going to take advantage of him, And two, it will work every time we will make sure it works. We will stay there until it does work. Even if it means us losing money. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, I know it's long winded, but that's the best I can give you on the sales side. No, I, I love this. Uh, a couple of kind of great points that James made to reiterate was asking the questions of how I can help you and then remembering one to, to shut the heck up. Right. I think that that to James's point is, is the hardest sales thing to do is to know when to stop talking or in many cases, stop selling. Right. It becomes the, when someone is ready to say, yes, let them say yes and give you the purchase order and uh, and learn to be quiet from that point. We, we have had a couple of comments um, in the chat about, about sales and to kind of everyone's point, I would say in this industry, to James's point, is very much about relationships, right? You know, you build relationships with people and you get, uh, you, you get um, connected with end users and it's their 30 years of a relationship that allows you to come in and give you the opportunity. And I think in this industry, more than any other industry, you really only have a couple of chances, right? Like if you go and shoot them straight and you do what you say you're going to do, then you'll continue to always find more work. But if you go and start to, to lie to them and you go to start to make crap up, this industry will decide that, you know, you just have no um, you, you don't, you, you say things when you don't know the answer. And that is a good way to get, you know, directed into the exit lane and, uh, and go find something else to do. I would much rather have someone come to me that's working for me for one of my clients or myself going to a client. Things happen, things go bad. If you were to accidentally hook some, something up wrong and smoke something, you know, I would much rather you go to them and say, guys, look, this is what happened. Uh, this happened. Or if you spec something wrong and you go to them and you say, I, I missed the ball on this one, guys. I thought it would run this and, and I missed it. I promise you, if you go to them and shoot straight, um, they're going to work with you to solve it. But mm-hmm. they're but they're also going to be much more apt to use you in the future than if you step back and say, well, your guys told me that this is what you wanted. And then you throw everybody under the bus and, you know, um, lots of times protecting yourself because you don't want to look like you made a mistake is the absolute wrong thing to do. Just go for it. Everybody, I mean, everybody there, you may have some people upset, but at the end of the day, you know, no one bats a thousand, right? I mean, there's times where we put stuff in, um, especially on sensors, there's uh, sensors and, and vision both are really, really, it's, it's almost an art form more than, more than a science. Um, you know, you put a vision system in and it, and it works great on the bench and then you get there and, uh, and the lighting is messed up or you find out, for example, we had one not too long ago that um, we didn't know that they kind of did lights out manufacturing, right? Uh. So, the, so the lights were on and everything's great, but then at like two o'clock in the morning, they shut down half of that plant, but this line stays running 
and the LED lights above head go out. And they're calling them. They're like, man, this thing is crashing at like two o'clock in the morning every morning. And we go there and I'm, I'm like, this makes no sense. It's running perfect during the day. What is happening at two o'clock in the morning? So I pulled up a chair at two o'clock in the morning and sat there. And when it got calm and everything got still, the light went out. And I was like, oh, okay. It makes complete uh. sense. So, uh, you know, so, I mean, we crashed a bunch of tooling before we figured that out. But, um, you know, it was something as simple as that. So, so yeah, um, be open. I think we all have those stories, you know, just oh, sorry, right. sorry on that point. We, we've all had the, those unfortunate moments happen to us. Yeah, it, 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 it's constant. It, it will be constant. Um, you know, you're going to feel like you're the most subpar engineer that's ever lived. Um, but but it happens. I mean, it just it is what it is. So. Absolutely. Uh, we are running, uh, as I, as I promised James, uh, this would be about the time that I say that we were running over. Uh, so I do have a couple of last questions to ask you, but first, can you give everyone maybe a bit of a sneak peek of your love of Camaros and drag racing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'll, I've been drag racing since I was nine with my family. It's a huge hobby of mine. Um, and when I was a kid, the, the third gen Camaro, you know, and the Firebird too. So think not rider right around that time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I always wanted one when I was younger and, uh, and, and that car was my dream car. I mean, everybody had the Lamborghini Diablo on the wall. Remember at the school bookstore, you know, the mm-hmm. book fairs, you got the Lamborghini poster that mine was a third gen Camaro. It's what I wanted. So, uh, so, um, I got out of racing for 10 years when my father passed away. It just wasn't the same anymore. And I got out of it, but now, um, year before last, my son is getting up. He's 10 now. And, uh, and he, he started really being interested in cars. And, and I remembered that, um, when I was drag racing, uh, you know, I was always with my dad on Friday and Saturday nights and, and I was not out, um, causing trouble as a teenager. I wasn't out <laughs> doing things that other, other kids were doing. Um, and it taught me a ton of, of mechanical aptitude and, and it also taught me camaraderie and, and competition. And, um, you know, I mean, it says something in the racing world, whenever, you know, your competitor, brakes and you go and help them fix their car because you're going to run them the next round, but you're going to help them fix their car and compete against you knowing that a championship is on the line. You know, that mm-hmm. says a lot for us. So, so it taught me a lot of, uh, a lot of morals and, and, uh, and it's just something we do as a family and we love it. Um, and it's one of those things again, that lets me tinker, um, you know, and it's pretty exciting to, to spend the weekend going up, you know, 180 miles an hour with the front end off the ground. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just a hobby and a passion I've had. So, uh, but I will say if there's any Dodge fans out there, um, I am as of tomorrow, I'm going and picking up a, a 2014 Dodge Challenger that was wrecked and my new car, when it comes out, I'm building a new, uh, uh, supercharged Hemi Dodge Challenger. That will be my Ooh. next drag car. So the Camaro's not going anywhere. I'm going to keep it, but, uh, we're going to swap over and run Dodge for a little while. So. Interesting. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I, I absolutely, uh, I, I absolutely love that. Um, no, no, perfect. Thank you, James. So, a, a couple of questions um, as we're getting. Oh, Vlad, you have a thought before we wrap up? Yeah, I was just going to mention, James. There's there were a few questions also in the comments, so people may reach out to you with those. I kind of you know mentioned that we're already over the hour that we usually mm-hmm. go for, and so they'll probably reach out to you with those questions uh, on a one to one basis. I would love to talk to anybody. Awesome. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'll answer any question I get and. Uh, and you know, I can't guarantee I'll have the right answer, but but I'll I'll give it my best shot. So 
I appreciate no. that. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, no, no, perfect. Thank you, James. Uh, and so kind of uh, the questions we ask everyone is, you know, James, who should reach other than everyone? Uh, because you're always looking to help folks. Uh, who should reach out to you uh, at Appalachian Automation uh, for work? If they're looking for work, who, who do you want to connect with? So, you know, our target audience, um, you know, we're not an engineering firm that's, that's, uh, that's large enough to handle. I mean, you know, I say this as I'm leaving a Toyota plant, so it's a little bit crazy to say what I'm about to say, but, but we're not a, we're not a firm that's going to handle a big monster project. We're not going to come in and project manage a 30 or $40 million project. And Mm -hmm. that's not our world, but, but if we specialize in um, a lot of high speed micro assembly machines, um, vision machines, that kind of stuff. So if you've got machines on your plant floor that have just been destroyed over the years, you Mm want to bring them up to date. Um, we do budget automation. It's what we do. Um, and, and we will produce a system for you that brings those machines back. We'll bring them into the shop. We'll refurb them up, you know, go from there. So, so I guess the, um, our target target audience is the, the people who are like a hundred to 500 employees, kind of the, I don't want to call them a mom and pop manufacturer, mm-hmm. but you know, the $25 million in revenue that, that really want to, to upgrade their machines, but they've kind of been limited because some other integrators are, um, are quoting things that are Ferraris when what they really need is a Chevy pickup, you know, that's, that's what we're after. That's, that's our, that's our target, our target audience. And, uh, and, you know, we're happy to help with that. We, of course we do consulting work. We do um, maintenance training and maintenance support work and and that as well. And, uh, and then, you know, like I said, we, we collaborate. So if there's any other integrators that are out there, if you get in over your head or if, if you're, if you're a new integrator and, and you get an opportunity to where you, um, don't feel comfortable with with what you're going into manpower wise or capital wise or or knowledge wise or whatever um you know we'll make it work with you i mean that's what we do so uh i believe in building relationships the last uh you know years and and making everybody um as profitable as we can and and we're happy to help no perfect uh thank you for that james and the the other question is uh, as as vlad had alluded to earlier i know you have a, a book recommendation or two that you would suggest uh some folks read yeah, so it's not as much on on systems integration per se, or um, or uh, you know anything in our industry specific. Um, you know, you I mean, you can find lists all day long on the things you should read for for whatever components you want to use, or you know, if you want to do codices and there's um, Python. I mean, there's books out there forever, right? But the two books that I would read if you're wanting to start a business tomorrow and, and you're wanting to really get a high level of success. Um, is the first book is the 10x rule by Grant Cardone. You'll see that I've, I've written about that and stuff. Now, I say that with a caveat of um, Grant Cardone sells a lot of seminars and a lot of uh, really high expensive weekend getaways and stuff. Um, I have never been to those. I can't say what they are, but I can say that I don't know that anybody speaking to me on a Friday afternoon is worth $30,000. Um, I guess it could be for some people. But what I'm saying is read that book, the 10x rule, and absorb it because I promise you it works. That book took my my business to a different level. Okay, mm-hmm. the other book that is phenomenal um, by a wonderful man named Gary Keller who founded Keller Williams Realty, which is where I was a real estate agent when I put my out there uh, my license out there. It's called The One Thing. So The One Thing is a book that that basically shows you how to plan um, to achieve long term goals. Because I think a lot of times we think, uh, you know, well, 20 years from now, I want to be worth X or I want to be able to do this. But we don't really have a road plan to get from today to that 20-year goal. If you read The One Thing by Gary Keller, I assure you, 
it will help you understand how to properly plan those long-term goals and turn them into what do I need to do today? What is the one thing that I should do right now before I let anything else derail me? What do I have to do today to reach my long-term goal, not just in business, but in, in, in happiness in life or in spirituality or, um, you know, in health or whatever you want to do. It's a phenomenal book. So those two books, combine those two books, read them and let those sink in. And I promise you, you'll come away with a whole different viewpoint on how you should run your business. No, definitely appreciate those, uh, those suggestions, James, Dave, any, any last comments? thoughts i i I love this james we're either gonna have to get you to come on for a second episode or we're gonna have to start some sort of business-based podcast for uh for engineers uh (laughs) with you anytime for sure awesome no no perfect thank you very much james uh thank you everyone uh again this has been episode 34 of manufacturing hub with me and vlad you guys can catch us live on wednesday evenings east coast time and you guys can check the new podcasts as they drop uh thursday evening until next week we'll see you all soon Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.